Welcome to Multicultural Minds, a podcast dedicated to raising awareness of multicultural mental health. My name is Emily Unity, and I will be your host. Thank you for being here with us and listening to voices that are often not heard. Our guest today is Phoebe Ho. By day, she is a clinical psychologist registrar working in Western Australia, but by night, she is an eating disorders advocate sharing her personal experiences of multicultural mental health. This podcast contains trigger warnings about eating disorders, family, and culture. Thank you so much for being here today, Phoebe. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well done, you, for starting this whole thing up. I think it's so important that stuff like this is, yeah, talked about a bit more. So my name is Phoebe. I have a lived experience of an eating disorder and I'm, I'm, I'm currently working as a uh, clinical psychologist registrar in the public and private sector in eating disorders, which is something I'm super passionate about and, yeah, just hoping to, I guess, shed light on that intersection between culture and mental health because it is so important. Um, and, yeah, sort of coming from my background, there are things that, you know, I wish I knew um, and, and things that I wish my, my parents sort of knew. So um, sort of cultural stuff is is always, I guess, a, an area of sort of interest and passion of mine as well. I'm really glad yeah. that you made the time for this. I don't know. If, I don't know. For me, like this stuff like fills my plate up. This is like something I obviously feel very passionate about and sort of whatever opportunity comes up, I'm always so happy to sort of jump on board and be a part of it. Thanks so much, Phoebe. I really appreciate your time. What has it been like being a personal lived experience, but also be a culturally, linguistically diverse person? So I think it's been, it's been a bit tricky initially. So I, I was obviously born in, in Singapore and moved here to Australia when I was nine. But I guess growing up from an Asian background, it was tricky because my parents um, obviously grew up in a different you know, generation from a different culture and mental health wasn't something that was talked about a lot. Um, you know, where I come from, mental health is sort of swept un- under the rug. You know, there wasn't really, you know, like, for example, physical health, if you break a leg, you'd go to the doctor. But if, it, if it's mental health, you know, the moment they see that you're smiling or, um, you know, you're not crying, basically, or not looking down or sad, it's assumed that everything is okay. Mm. Um, and, you know, for example, when I was living there, I guess it was I was still quite young and I think that, you know, times have changed for the better um, but there wasn't things back then such as are you okay day or you know those sort of mental health yeah. campaigns that um, really rose awareness of, of what mental health looks like and that it's not you know it's not that it's 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 like physical health in, in many ways in terms of everyone has a mental health like mental health exists on a whole continuum like a whole spectrum um, and I guess where you sit on that mental health spectrum can fluctuate from from day to day from week to week um you know you know how different events around you influence where you where you sort of sit on that spectrum mm-hmm. I guess there wasn't there wasn't any awareness of, of what uh, mental health was from where I grew up and I think how my parents grew up as well there wasn't that awareness and so whenever you know you were sad you were down it was almost as if you know you were it wasn't something that was explicitly talked about and like these really difficult mm. emotions and feelings, they grew and they were big and they were overwhelming, but you sort of just learnt to bottle them up a lot of the time. And, you know, over time you'd bottle them up, bottle them up, bottle them up, you wouldn't really talk about it. Um, and then sometimes it would be this big explosion um, and I'd be left sort of wondering why there was a big sort of emotional explosion. Um, and I guess, you know, being in a privileged position now and having done quite a bit of work in the mental health space over the years and having an increased, I guess, knowledge and awareness of mental health in the area, 
like awareness was was so important. I think there were so many things that I, I would have done differently if, if I had that awareness back then in terms of seeking help early, you know, mm. talking about it in the household because that was just that was just not on the table at all, I think. Yeah. Do you mind telling me a bit about that? Because I was raised in a household where any time I tried to talk about my feelings, it was like this mm. weird, taboo, very uncomfortable thing. And just, Absolutely. Um, but what was it like for you when, if you tried to express your emotions or like reach out for help, what was the response that you received? Yeah. no, <laughs> It's a funny question you asked that because I feel like, and to be fair, I think it was every part on my part as well for not raising it I think Mm -hmm. because myself and my parents we grew up in this culture of almost not like sort of like emotional silence where you Mm. just wouldn't really talk about how you're feeling (laughs) that was just the norm right so I think if either if either party wanted to bring it up I think that I think the moment we sort of had a bit of an inkling of what mental health was what mental health awareness was even though we tried to do it it sort of felt like a bit odd and clunky at the start because it was almost as oh do I ask are you okay like what should I say (laughs) what should I not say I'm sort of tiptoeing around it should I be direct should I not be indirect so I think there were many sort of questions up in the air and it did feel really uh, sort of clunky at first and you know, the first time really where my parents came around the idea of talking about mental health and how like emotional well-being was really, I think, the first time I, I got admit, admitted to hospital um, mm. for, for mental health reasons, for my eating disorder. And I remember my, my parents, you know, in, in part of, you know, recovery and all that for my eating disorder personally was um, – not just physical sort of um, restoration, but also like mental restoration as well. But, Mm. you know, for them, it was almost if you were physically well, then, you know, you you must be fine. You know, you've got a smile on the face. You you must be fine. And it took a really long time for me to sort of get across and try try to convey to them that, sure, you know, I might be physically well and perhaps weight restored, but you know, that doesn't reflect how I'm thinking and feeling on the inside. They're yeah. both, um, you know, very often they're linked, but, you know, sometimes they cannot be linked. And I was still very down, very flat on the inside. And often I had this facade and, and mask up because it was mm. just sort of easier um, that that way. And I remember there was one particular instance where <laughs> I had been, I, I, I would guess I was, a bit further along recovery, but mm. then there was a particular lunchtime where I just had this really big sort of breakdown and started crying. And my parents got really angry with me um, because they sort of said to me, you know, why are you crying? You should be fortunate. You know, we've brought you to this country. You should be mm. really, um, I guess, uh, grateful for for all that you have. You've got food on the table, you know, sort of stop whinging. Um, you know, why can't you just eat up? And it was really difficult to start to tell them that, you know, it's it's not I'm not crying because I'm ungrateful yeah. for you know all your efforts uh, for us bringing us to Australia or or that there's food on the table. I'm I'm crying because I'm really overwhelmed and really stressed and really upset yeah. and anxious. Um, but I didn't have the courage or know how to convey mm. it to them previously. And something that I did actually pick up in the hospital, which was super, super useful, I found over time, was actually journaling, like art journaling. Mm. And, it, you know, the things we would sort of journal that in hospital were sort of things like, you know, how are you feeling today? Writing, for example, a letter to my eating disorder mm. or writing our goals, how I was feeling. And I, I guess, just couldn't muster up the courage to talk about my feelings to my parents and what I was 
really truly thinking and so what I did was that I wrote everything down Mm. in my art journal decorated the page and then I just actually gave it to both my parents to read um and when my parents read that they they were just like I I don't know if it was shock or or what the emotion was but Mm. I think they were just yeah, but probably shocked. They, they started crying and they were just shocked because they hadn't realised that all that stuff was going on yeah. in my mind um, and that was all that I was feeling because when they saw me from a day-to-day basis, I seemed like I was going fine. I was smiling and that was, you know, me trying to put up a facade yeah. and saying that to everyone that things were okay, things are fine, I'm okay, but really deep down I wasn't. So when I actually passed in my art journal, to let them read I think that was like like a an aha moment if you'd like for them to go wow like this is so different from what we think um you were thinking and what you're feeling um so I think it really did give them like such a huge insight and I think that was probably the the first moment I I think that they truly felt and understand and and, and understood um what mental health was and that Mm. it can be so similar but yet so different from physical health um, and for me, art journaling was a medium that I used initially to convey how I was feeling and thinking and over time, where I guess myself and my parents had built up that um, uh, capacity to, to talk about emotions, emotional vocabulary. That was when we actually started talking about it more. Mm. But it had to start off as a different medium because it was clunky. It was awkward. We Neither of us knew what to say and how to start. We were worried about saying the wrong things, yeah. asking the wrong questions, whether or not we'd upset the other person. So I think it was a really clunky start to begin with, but we sort of got there in the end. And, you know, my parents were awesome. They um, really made the effort to um, attend all these different um, parent support groups for mental health, for eating disorders, where they started to, I guess, grow their like mental health literacy and, mm. and awareness and I'd probably say that that entire process probably took them about six to seven years. Like mm. it wasn't something that happened overnight. It was, you know, um, practice, patience, persistence and yeah. um, really willing and open, being curious to, to hearing about my experiences as well as me listening and curious about their experiences um, of, of being a carer and a parent yeah. as well. So it was definitely both ways, I think. That story... It's so beautiful and thank you so much for sharing it with me because it's so many tingles across my body. Um, <laughs> it's it's so beautiful to hear about how this you, you got on this journey but your parents have walked alongside you and, you know, you found that shared language that wasn't necessarily through like a traditional sense of like speaking but it was you found something that worked for you and I think that that's something that's really important. For me, like it, it was quite similar as well. Like my, my parents didn't have the language to talk about their mental health, and like for me, mm. you know, if, if you're younger and you fall down, you graze your knee, like you can point to your knee and be like, yeah. "That's where it hurts." But like, absolutely, with mental health, like where do you point? Like your head and your heart. And so absolutely. it's so hard to communicate it to other people. But it's so beautiful that you found that method with your parents, and like you're still walking along this journey together. If you could go back in time, I guess, and like tell your parents what would be the best way to respond to you when this all started happening? I think, you know, I think where I come from, you know, being sad and down and not okay was almost a sign of weakness. And mm. that was part of the reason why I didn't want to let them know or let my guard down. And for them, it was almost as if you couldn't be sad. It was this... I wouldn't say a culture of stoicism, but it was almost as if you had to be strong and sort of tough all the time and achieve and achieve highly. And 
what I guess I wanted to tell them back then was it's okay if if if, if people aren't okay, you know, if people have ups and downs. There might be some days where people might be sad, we might be happy, we might be anxious, but that doesn't change who we are as a person. Mm. Um, and it's okay to to have those days because I think because I, I felt that they they held that view, I was placing a lot of pressure, um, I guess, on, on myself to not a, not open up to them. And I think equally on on um, their part, it was when I was down or upset, you know, I think there were some hurtful things that were being said from them towards me, like, you know, why, you know, why, why were you born this way, you know, to right. sort of toughen up, which was really, really hurtful to me. But I guess I, you know, through therapy um, and I've been in, in, seen lots of psychologists and therapists over the years, but I think part of it was me for myself, forgiving myself and them in the sense that yeah. I have to come to terms with the fact that, you know, they grew up in a different culture. They, they mm. that's that's sort of all they knew. That's how they were taught to deal with emotions, difficult um, situations, and you know, all they're doing is really um, enacting what they've been taught and what they've been told as children. And you know, they're, they're now adults and sort of imparting that to their own children, which is myself. Um, so I think I had to be forgiving on that end and tell myself, it's you know, yes, it's sort of tough. You know, they're saying some pretty hurtful things to you, but. Um, this was how they were brought up, um, not just for them, but their parents and their parents before them and their parents and their parents before them. Yeah. Um, and I guess it was about saying to myself, it's okay, this is, you know, you get the choice, Phoebe, to change that conversation mm. and change mm. the way that you sort of, I guess, manage and, and deal with mm. mental health in the family and how you talk about it and how you not react to things but how you respond to things. Um, And so I think I really had to cultivate a lot of, yeah, a lot of resilience and also forgiveness on, on, on that part. Um, So I guess in terms of what I I would sort of say to my parents, you know, I wish, I guess in many ways, I wish I could go back in time and sort of um, be in a space where I was able to, to be their own, the parents, my parents to, to let them know. And I guess to teach them that everyone has mental health um Mm. we all have bad days and good days or not so good days and that's completely okay and it's okay to talk about this this sort of stuff um and you know there are many ways you can talk about this sort of stuff it doesn't mean that you have to sit down and go oh how are you feeling today you know that that's one way but Mm. there are so many other ways that you can do that if it's through art if it's through sort of a joint or shared activity together but there's so many different ways that that you can do it um, and to not shy away from, you know, mental health. And I think particularly for me, I remember when I was nine, I was sort of, I, that was the, the age, not nine, sorry, probably a bit later, around 11 was when I sort of saw my first sort of psychologist. And I remember being like walking into the psychologist's office and going, like, I don't need to be here. Like psychologists are for crazy people. I'm not crazy. I'm not crazy. Like, and that that's obviously not true. And I think psychologists are so important. I mean, I'm, I'm one myself now, but mm-hmm. I think there was so much stigma from where I came from for my culture um, to the point where that really influenced yeah. my first interactions and my engagement with that psychologist. Um, so I think, yeah, culture plays such a huge part. If I just could rewind the clock, not just back to when I was younger but way 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 back like I'm talking generations (laughs) um to really foster that but obviously that's that's not possible but I think you know all I can do now is focus on how I can start to make a change in terms of my generation and in terms of cultural awareness of mental health um and I'm 
hopefully, I guess I'd like to think that that's, that's a conversation that I am starting within my family, yeah. but obviously with this sort of thing, it takes time. That I really like that. Like if you acknowledge like your boundaries and your ability to influence a change around you with the you know resources and time that you have. And so, you know, you're, you're changing things for you and for your family and you're changing that narrative, which is really lovely. I want to ask, have you ever yeah. sought help from someone that was a professional, but of the same culture as you? It's interesting. Yes, actually I did once. I was going through a bit of a, um, a rough patch um, in terms of uh, relationship-wise, mm. this, was, oh, this was years ago. And I did see someone who was not I – w- I wouldn't say she was the exact same ethnicity as me, but mm. she was from the same sort of cultural background and Asian background and sort of new um, uh, sort of parental expectations and, like, you know, the, the sort of stuff that would go on um, – coming from an Asian background and she was actually really really understanding at first I was a bit hesitant because I thought to myself oh my gosh she's gonna be exactly like my parents um and have these really high uh, high expectations in some areas of my life be quite stoic um Mm. sort of place those very similar cultural expectations from me um and hold this or perpetuate this culture of emotional science but she was so different she was absolutely um in, incredible and if anything mm. she knew she said I, I'm so aware and I completely understand that often people from um an Asian background have particular cultural expectations mm. um sort of placed on them in terms of family dynamics and all that sort of thing so for example um you know in, in my large sort of extended family it's sort of understood that if you are like the oldest child um mm. You are meant to succeed. You are meant to um, work really hard and sort of be the leader in the family. You're meant to be. It's your responsibility um, to provide for your parents, to give back to your parents. Um, and and it, there was, it was a very big, yeah. I, I guess it's 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 sort of that sort of culture and a whole bunch of other expectations. But she she got it. And I think you know I was going through a rough patch with my parents at one point in time, and I you know, felt really guilty because having these cultural expectations of you're always meant to be part of the family, um, there was, I guess, less place for individuation from in, in, in my culture. Everything was done as a sort of like a family unit. So when I wanted to move out and when I was having a sort of a rocky patch with my parents and I just needed some space away from them, um, again, some hurtful words were sort of being said that made me feel very guilty um, and it was really nice to have someone um, of a very similar cultural background to me to say, I, I get it, you know, um, it's a really similar thing in uh, my culture as well. I understand that often um, parents can, can think that way because that's the world they grew up in and they don't know anything else but that. Um, and in this culture, you rely on each other for help um, through the thick and thin on the bad days and good days, Um and so, yeah, it was actually really, really nice to um, to have someone to to understand that um, where I was come from, where I was coming from, because I felt that in that situation, in some ways, if I had seen someone who perhaps wasn't in a similar cultural background for me, I might have felt as though, well, what I'm saying is silly, or, or perhaps that my my therapist or counselor wouldn't really understand me that much because they don't really um, get. The, the culture and how everyone sort of 
depends on each other and it's very much so you know you're you're meant to stay with your parents mm-hmm. till you get married or, or when you get older um, and that was sort of your role in your family and your culture mm-hmm. whereas I think coming to a western or Caucasian culture it's it's quite different and you know people um, are often and this is not to say not to generalize but you know there is more acceptance towards um, people individuating from their parents and mm. moving out of home, um, being yeah, being quite independent in yourself. Mm. Um, whereas that was quite different in my culture, and having someone that understood that and could see how my mental health played into that and why where, where my guilt was coming from because of those cultural and family dynamics and background roles, um, that was really nice. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that with me because it's it's so important to understand the differences not just of your personal understandings of mental health, but also like the person that you're seeking help from, because it's very much based on that relationship and different people's understanding influences, obviously like the journey that you both walk on. Um, And I wonder like, have you had any experiences of maybe being that other person now that you're, you know, you're a culturally and linguistically diverse clinician yourself, um, whilst also being a person lived experience. And it's such a unique perspective to bring to that. So mm-hmm. do you feel like your culture has influenced the way that you provide help as well? I think so. And I think that, you know, I've seen a number of clients over the past sort of two years, particularly during my clinical training. And I have come across um, clients who are from a culturally and linguistically diverse background. And you know, I think that during those times I've been extra, I guess, cautious and mindful to be even more patient, um, particularly, mm. you know, with, with parents from a different um, culture and um, linguistically diverse background because I, I sometimes I think to myself, okay, if these were my parents, they would have, if this is their first time sort of seeking help for mental health reasons, they're going to have a really hard time sort of coming to terms with and reconciling what, what mental health is and it's about being patient and um, I guess explaining to them, you know, like um, uh, like physical health, everyone has mental health and um, depending on, on, you know, the type of client, the kind of family they are, sometimes I won't even use the word mental health to start off with. Um, sometimes I might use the term emotional well-being and sort of go through, you know, sometimes we might be sad and sometimes we might be angry, sometimes we might be anxious. So I guess very sort of um, basic um, emotional language and, and, and awareness sort of building skills um, to start off with because uh, the, these are sort of the, the building blocks of mental health um, and being aware of emotions, being able to identify them. So if I do sort of see a family or a client um, from a culturally and linguistically diverse background, I do often spend a lot more uh, trying to be a lot more patient and really taking the time to build rapport with the family or the young person or the person um, and really honing in on those, I guess, emotional um, awareness skills and explaining to them, you know, like like physical health, everyone has emotional health. Um, and it's really important that we, I guess, um, uh, take care of emotional health as well mm. um and I just sort of in in those times and sometimes it, it I, I won't sort of um uh sugarcoat it sometimes it is really frustrating um because you know I, I think to myself I wish I wish you could um understand you know what what mental health was like but then I reflect within myself and I go hang on you know these people have come from a different culture, a different background. Mm. Um, this is completely new to them. Um, it's like learning, for example, a new language for the first time. Uh, for a lot of them, it's the first time they've ever sought professional mental health yeah. help. Um, so it makes sense that it takes a while to grasp 
you know, the the meaning, the, um, the, the notion of what mental health e- even is. Um, so, I'm, yeah, I'm very, very mindful, I guess, to, to take things a bit slower um, and to really spend time building trust and rapport because the last thing I want is to, you know, dive into it with diagnoses mm. and all these mm. different things. And that's not, that's not relevant. That's not important. What's important is that the person feels heard, they feel listened to mm. and that they feel validated um, and doing all that whilst, I guess, building, yeah, emotional sort of awareness and regulation skills, um, I think is, yeah, I, I, I would probably say that's the, that's the main thing that sort of influenced how I practice with um, people from culturally and linguistically diverse backgrounds, as well as sort of thinking of different mediums as well in terms of, um, mm. you know, I might not say to them, um, uh, how are you feeling today? Because that might be too broad and too hard a question mm. to, to start with. You might be talking about different things. You might be talking about how school, how was your day? Mm. And then, oh, tell me more a bit about school. Tell me a bit more about your day, sort of what's happened. Um, and then the feelings will come out that way. Yeah. You know, it's sometimes, you know, asking that question directly can be really, really big um, and a lot for the person to digest or even um, sort of hold. Um, so it's just about keeping that in mind and tailoring my sessions and my approach into a way that's digestible and okay um, for the client and, and okay for both of us to hold in that room. I really love that. I love how you very much acknowledge that like not only does mental health look different for everyone, but like the way that we communicate about it might look different for everyone. And I think that we need to be flexible with our approaches. And if someone doesn't engage with us in the way that we're used to, it's not necessarily a problem with us or them. It's just, we need to find that shared medium. So I really love that. I just want to ask you one last question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a very large question. So like, I'm not yep, sure. sure. Absolutely. Far away. <laughs> If you had one thing that you could tell people about multicultural mental health, what would it be? Oh, this is, this is a really big question. <laughs> Sorry. And it's tough. I guess multicultural oh, mental health, it is so different. And, you know, I guess all the things I learn about in books, in mental health treatment manuals, I think that perhaps as, I guess, speaking from, first of all, from a clinical point of view, be prepared to throw all of that out. Like, you know, for example, through clinical psychology training, you learn about different, um, you know, you call them sort of criteria for whether or not um, a a particular person might meet criteria for a particular mental health disorder. And sometimes you just have to throw them out because, for example, I know in my family, you know, um, my parents prayed, for example. Mm -hmm. Um, There were gods instead of deities that you, um, you know, prayed to, worshipped, et cetera, et cetera. And I guess... To someone from a non-Asian cultural background that might come across, oh, gosh, that person meets criteria for schizophrenia. Are they um, hearing things? Are they hallucinating? Are they doing this or that and that? But that's not always the case. Mm. In fact, that's just them practicing their culture and Mm. their beliefs. And I think that's really important to acknowledge and recognise and hold in mind. Um, So that's why I say, you know, when... (laughs) Be prepared to, to throw out your manual when working with people from, mm. you know, multicultural different backgrounds because no one culture is, is the same and different people within the same culture can practice very different um, cultural beliefs. And I think I think that's important for, for clinicians to, to take note and some, some cultures you might need, you know, a culturally appropriate interpreter there in the session. Um, to, I guess, be the sort of middleman if, you, if you'd like to sort of make some mm. sense of things. And these are all really important cultural um, 
consideration. So I guess that's the that's the first part, I guess, when I, I think about um, what I want people to know about multicultural mental health and also to be patient. And, you know, sometimes you might be trying to explain what, what, what mental health is <laughs> from one angle and that might not particularly work. And it's about being patient, not giving up and trying different angles um, mm. that sort of fit for that particular person from a different background and not giving up and not, and, and it's okay to be frustrated, but mm. I guess not letting that frustration get that impact your work uh, with a particular sort of client that, that you're working with. So I guess that's from a, uh, I guess, client, uh, sorry, clinician point of view, if I were to wear my clinician hat. Mm. And I guess what I'd like people to know from a sort of consumer point of view as a, as a previous consumer is that for people, I guess, clients seeking help who mm. um, are from a cultural background mm. to, to not give up. And I think that's really important because for myself, the first, the very, very first sort of um, counsellor or psychologist I ever saw, I didn't really quite click with that with that therapist and I felt that I wasn't heard that that person had no sort of regard or, or respect for, mm. for my culture or where I came from um, and I think it's really important that you keep trying and people keep persevering until they find the right sort of therapist that mm. they click with um, who has an understanding of about about you or, or at least who is willing and open and curious about the culture and background um, from where you come from and is willing to, to work with that. They don't have to know everything in the world about your culture, but they have to be open um, and, and willing to learn. And I think when people persevere and find that right support person for them, it can be you know, so, so, so awesome. Um, and that was the case for me, you know. Um, the first counsellor or psychologist I sort of clicked with, they didn't necessarily know a whole lot about my culture or my background, but they were open and willing to listen to me yeah. and to learn from me about my culture or my background and what made it so um, tricky for me to, to seek help in, in my background, you know. Just for example, when I was in high school seeking help for the first time, um, I you know, my parents had tried to make me see a psychologist and I just wasn't ready. And um, you know, because of mental health stigma in my culture, I wanted to seek help properly for the first time um, on my own, on my own accord. And so I initially didn't want my parents to find out about me sort of um, seeking right. help towards the end of high school. Um, and the person I saw at school was awesome. She said, um, you know, I completely respect that. Um, let's try to fill out some forms or, or paperwork to get you your own Medicare card. So you come off your parents' Medicare card because my initial concern was that my parents, I would see a psychologist, but then that my parents would find out. Mm. And I did tell my parents eventually, but um, I think, you know, part of that was that particular therapist respecting myself. And I mm. think at that point in time, I was still quite a private person because mental health wasn't something that was spoken about about a lot in my family and I didn't know how to go about bringing it up mm. and so I started off seeing a psychologist regularly on my own um, and I guess my wishes were sort of respect my culture res was respected um, and that was really really nice um, to have someone open and willing to, to hear from me and to learn from me and you know my parents did get involved a bit later on um, but I think that initial uh, willingness to, to learn about me was yeah really really nice um, so I guess that's what I want people to know that it's so diverse. There's no one-size-fits-all approach when it comes to multicultural mental health. Um, it's it's all different. That's amazing. I, I really love that that takeaway that, like, you know, as a clinician, just, you know, leave all your assumptions at the door. Go and burn the DSM-5. Yeah, pretty much. Like, 
<laughs> we, we need to be true as individuals um, and you know, check your assumptions yeah. before you come into any sort of situation with anyone of any culture. Absolutely. It's, uh, no, I, I really love that reflection. I really want to highlight the amazing impact that you've had as both like an advocate as a person of lived experience as well as a clinician. Oh, so if people want to reach you, like what's the best way to get in touch? I will probably say what I'm just trying to think what platforms do I have um I guess they could just reach me by by email like my email is just phoebes.ho at outlook.com so phebs.ho at outlook.com um feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn my name is just Phoebe Ho um I also do um speaking quite regularly with the Butterfly Foundation so Mm. they are a foundation um based over East but sort of representing the whole Australia for eating disorders um so feel free to sort of get in touch with with them as well um yeah always very happy to connect with people and talk about all things mental health because that's something I'm super super passionate about and um it's something yeah I'm hoping to sort of continue into the indefinite future and Mm. um yeah always very happy to have these conversations it's been absolutely wonderful talking to you and I I really appreciate your time yeah thanks so much Phoebe no problem at all thanks so much for having me Em. thank you for listening to Multicultural Minds a podcast dedicated to raising awareness of multicultural mental health if you want to find out more about us please visit our website at www.multiculturalminds.org Thank you again for being here with us and listening to voices that are often not heard.